everybody. Uh, welcome back to Allegory Story. My name is Tegan Aline. My name is Melanie Nevis. And today we are continuing our deep dive on witches because it's October. And, and if we were ever going to look into witches, this is the time to do it. Yeah, I yeah. agree with that. <laughs> today, we thought we would do something similar with the concept of witchcraft as a whole. And mm-hmm. I think it's safe to say that Mel and I were both like, whoa, <laughs> there's a lot. It's a really vast topic. It's a really vast topic that is kind of convoluted. Things overlap um, and and then they and differ opi- in a lot of And opinions really heavily well. vary. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yes, yeah. So it's going to be an interesting one, but we're we're going to attempt to our best to explore it in an hour. I'm pretty sure I could use more time than that, but that's the time that we've got. <laughs> so, yeah, so uh, I will say upfront that I have been practicing witchcraft actively for most of my life, and that's been like a pretty private process, like. Just the fact that I'm even saying this like into a microphone right now, almost <laughs> like I'm almost scared. Like I think a year ago you wouldn't have caught me saying that because it's been a, been a very private pa- practice. But there has been like a mm-hmm. wider kind of like people have become more open to this in, in more recent years. And there's lots of people practicing different variations of, of, of craft all over the world. And I think you also Definitely. have you also have uh, some connections to it as well, no? Yeah, I do. And for the longest time, you know, I've been asked before by some friends where they're like, "Are you a witch?" And I'm like, "I don't know. Am I?" I don't know. Yeah, and that's what I always said. Like, I, don't I don't know. I don't know. Am Maybe. I? And then I kind of like look around my house and I look at the books and I look at like the little <laughs> jars of stuff that I have, and I'm like. Oh, the jars are a dead giveaway. If you have an entire cupboard of jars, if you have an entire (laughs) cupboard of jars, you're a human crow and you like jars. (laughs) That's definitely like a sign. Well, yeah, I've got like little spell jars where I didn't really even think about it that are filled with herbs and then like little runes on pieces of paper. And I'm like, oh, and then I poured wax on it and I put crystals on it. And I'm like, oh, but they're just like protective things. (laughs) Put a wax, put a wax seal on it. Put a put a crystal on it. Put a bird on it. Yeah, like, whatever. They're just protective things. But oh, I guess I guess that's kind of witchy. I'm like, uh, I have like a very ritualistic thing that I do in the morning. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm a witch. What kind yeah. of witch? I don't know. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and this is kind of and this is kind of the interesting thing when like I I so for me what happened what happened was when I was like, I grew up Catholic, first of all. And Mm -hmm. for when I was about 12 or 13, we went through our confirmation. And this is like when you go into the church and you're like, I'm confirming that I am a Catholic and I'm going to be Catholic forever now. And and (laughs) I think at 13 doing that, it's like, there's a reason that that happens at that age, because that's, you're just about to go into your age of self-discovery. And basically for me, it was like I declared myself a Catholic because that's what everybody at my school was doing. And then the next year I was like reading like six books on Wicca. You know what I mean? (laughs) And at the time it felt 
like, I shouldn't be doing that, but I was so drawn to it. But it was like the opposite of everything that I've learned. Now as an adult, I realize the majority of like old time witchcraft is really the the concepts of what we know historically are really drafted and created by Christian people, (laughs) actually, essentially, (laughs) in a way. But it felt so weird to me at that time. In a way, I agree with you because uh, and I think a lot of people think that witches are more of a Christian invention, but like, well, the, here's I, the yeah. thing, it's the terminology, right? Yeah. It's, it's not that they created anything. It's the terminology and the way that they attached terminology to negative ideas. So the terms are created, like the term of paganism, the term of mm-hmm. witchcraft is all kind of created by by people who were talking about it historically in a negative sense. Anyways, we'll we'll get to all that. We're going to get to all that. We'll, we'll get there. Like, because I, I do think that a lot of people think it's a Christian invention. The idea of this witch that flies in the night and like drives her power from dark cosmic forces um, but I th- like it does predate Christ- Christianity by centuries. If you look at Homer's Odyssey, which was written circa 800 BCE, mm-hmm. Circe turns men into animals and is described as a witch. Like right. Plutarch refers to witchcraft on his treatise of superstition, which was written in the year 100. And then you have illicit, ma- illicit magic, which features really heavily in Roman law statutes. And actually, this is actually really, really cool. Archaeologists have found hundreds of ancient Greek curse tablets, mm. which I I think the Greeks called uh, katares or katares. I'm not, I don't speak Greek. I don't know. Um, which are curses <laughs> that bind tight and, and they appear to have invented them. So like it goes way further mm. back than Christianity. Many many of these curse tablets were focused on sporting competitions or legal contests and they were they would be left in graves or wells or fountains where the dead could better work their magic. So underground. So I think it's really interesting because so when I was 13 and I was learning all this stuff, I was picking up books that I was finding in like the occult section at bookstores. You know mm. what I mean? And what I understand today is the majority of what I was reading was actually modern day neo-paganism Wicca, you know, and I didn't, at the time I had no concept that all of that part existed. Like I came into the story at that moment. So I, I was taking probably most of what was being said in those books as definitive rule. Mm -hmm. And that's probably also part of my Catholic upbringing, because in the Catholic church, you're like taught that this is the way God is. This is the way Jesus is. This is the way the world works. So Mm -hmm. even stepping out of even stepping out of that, stepping into a new kind of discovery, I was still applying the same type of method. So I thought that Wicca was witchcraft and vice versa and all this and didn't realize that there was already, there had been a lot going on before I'd shown up. But with that being said, it's still relatively modern. So I think it would be a great idea if we could examine quickly um, the difference between witchcraft, Wicca and paganism, because I think this is kind of like a thing that 
if you don't look into it, it, it can it can get confusing. And like you said, they all kind of like bleed into each other in certain ways and, and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So it'd be interesting to kind of like look at look at that a little bit. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Because I think that witchcraft is like, well, all of them are really nebulous terms, but witchcraft is really hard to define because it is so open to interpretation depending on, you know, whoever's practicing or studying it. So that's kind of exactly it. So when I was kind of looking through all of my books and looking online today, I got the sense that witchcraft is kind of defined specifically as a craft. So I think one of the things that I had an aha moment about in looking into this was that witchcraft in itself doesn't have like a defined theology or belief system behind it. Mm-hmm. So it's not a witchcraft in itself is not a religion. It's simply a craft. So you can be a witch and you can have like spell jars and things around your house. And it's the act of creating the craft that has that it feels important to you it has certain properties based on the plants or the things that you're using but it's the 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 actual task of crafting that makes it a craft and it doesn't have to be connected necessarily to like any type of gods or anything like that and when you start to kind of look at things from like um like a perspective of having a structure, a spiritual structure around it. That's mm-hmm. actually when you start to delve into this idea of Wicca, because Wicca is kind of like the modern day offshoot based using a word that is old English. <laughs> yeah. And it's, but it's also kind of like a revamped idea and doubly so witchcraft what we would think as witchcraft in this moment like the concept of crafting the 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 spells that kind of work that is how we as like us as people usually as witches would define that but that is witchcraft defined by historians and and anthropologists Mm -hmm. is more to what you were talking about earlier like this yes. concept of of women who like have packs with devil the devil and use demonology to perform all of these spells and and things like that um the what is it mm, I'm, I'm gonna say a word but I feel like I'm gonna say the wrong word <laughs> malevolent working with malevolent spirits that's it I was like it's on the tip of my tongue and I also want to say maleficent and I know that's wrong (laughs) that was that was last season (laughs) you know so I think that that is really really interesting and and I hope I kind of do you have anything to add on that like or does that kind of no I think I think that's a perfect uh, distinction between Wicca and witchcraft where you know I think that a lot of are all Wiccans can define themselves as witches, but not all witches will define themselves as Wiccans. Exactly. And that's, I think, really important because Wicca is a relatively modern and, and, you know, when we use the term Neo, it means like something more new aged almost, but it's a relatively modern concept. And I think from what I was looking at today, um, it really kind of started in and around like the 1940s, actually. Um, and there were, 
a couple, like I'm not going to get, I can get into the names, but I don't know if I want to get into the names. But basically there was this guy named Gerald Gardner and he claimed back in, do you have the, the, the witch's Bible? No, I don't. I was just pulling out Scott Cunningham's Wicca for the solo practitioner. Okay. Okay. So we're going to get to, well, I don't have a lot of information (laughs) on Scott Cunningham, but he's kind of like, I think a lot of what a lot of people refer to in, but he's still Wiccan, still considered Wiccan by a lot of, he is Wiccan by a lot of, yeah, no, no, no. He's 100% Wiccan. But anyways, Wicca, it's very interesting because the history is that like, what Mel was saying earlier, um, witchcraft can em- encompass a lot of, like it can umbrella be an umbrella term for a lot of folk practices that come from other communities and other cultures. And it can be really individualized to the person. And like you were explaining to me right before we started the podcast that like you have these certain traditions that, that you learned from family members that are traditions and your background is Portuguese. My background is Canadian, but ultimately like Welsh and and uh, British, you know what I mean? And you learned these things and you will always incorporate in some, at some point in some way, you'll incorporate those things into your practice. But there are things that I never learned, so I wouldn't even know to do it. And that's kind of like the interesting thing. And also like the danger game with all of this stuff, especially in the context of the time that we're in now, when we're kind of exploring the ideas of cultural appropriation and what that means. And I think it's very interesting because from what I was like listening to and researching earlier, um, it seems like up until the 19th century, the concept of a witch and witchcraft is very much locked into this idea of like the historical version, quite negative quite dangerous. And it's only in the 18th century when rich, bougie people start to become interested in the occult that it starts to shift. And with that going into the 20th century, even more so there start to be, there starts to become like a, a lot of British people that are getting really deeply into magic and they start to create their own structures, their own religious systems. And that's where we get back to that Gerald Gardner guy, because he claims to have been um, inducted into a coven, but he won't specify the coven. He won't talk about them for the sake of their privacy. It's supposed to be like very mm-hmm. you know, mystical and but a lot of people debate whether or not it even really happened. <laughs> and so he learns all of this knowledge from them and decides to start his own version of like witchcraft practice called Gardenarian Wicca. Gardenarian. Yeah. yeah. Gardenarian Wicca. And that, and this is like the first kind of form of Wicca, but it does Honestly, I'm going to say pilfer. It pilfers a lot from folkloric traditions of witchcraft from different places in Europe. And including he is also the one that creates the Sabbat calendar, which I know I, I know that's mm-hmm. not actually the way you're supposed to say it. But when you were studying this stuff 
growing up like me, that's what you said, but that's not actually the even proper way to <laughs> pronounce it. <laughs> but he, he created that and it's pulled from like a bunch of different cultures. You know what I mean? Yeah. So Wicca becomes quite, in today's day and age, I think the roots of it are quite questionable and they're not as old as we would be led to believe. It started in the 40s. Yeah, I think, like you said, it, it kind of pilfers a lot of older traditions. So this Sabbat calendar is followed by Wiccans, but it's also followed by a lot of priestesses in the Nordic tradition. And I think that's actually where it was pilfered from. So here, so here we go, because then yeah. it's like from the Gardinarian tradition, just like the Catholic church, people break off and start their own version. So then there's the Alexandrian tradition, which is where mm -hmm. I kind of found myself at the beginning of my Wicca journey, I'll call it, because I was reading mm -hmm. the witch's Bible and that was written by uh, Alexandrian practitioners. And those practices are very heavily focused on rituals, on having ritual tools, on having wands and cauldrons and like using all of those things. Also very centered in like a divine feminine and a divine masculine, like a high priest, a high priestess, a horned god, a moon goddess, but it's still kind of vague, like a horned god. There's many versions of horned gods in many cultures and same with the moon goddess. So you, so technically as a Wiccan, you could still work with um, like Patheons from like other traditions and just bring them into yours, which is interesting on one hand, but also where we run into this issue of like appropriating things, just taking things from anywhere. Like we think we could just take things of anywhere. And then also there's another variation of that, which is the Dian Dianic tradition, which is way more feminist focused. So, and all of these things that's, so that's like some branches of Wicca that all falls under the umbrella of neo-paganism because it's the modern day. And then when we start to delve into like what the word pagan means, again, it's like a term that was kind of created, I think around the fourth century to to describe people who were practicing polytheistic religions. Mm -hmm. So early, like early Roman, like pre-Christian Roman traditions, Greek traditions, anything where there's more than one God, where there's like a group mm -hmm. of gods, right? And so in that, the modern day practices of like Hellenism, which is the practice of, of following the Greek, the Greek kind of traditions and the Greek gods. Heathenry, heathenry, which is like the German <laughs> neo-pagan subgroup, you know, where they follow, it's, they're more about believing in, in nature and spirits in nature, but it's like, yeah, the German kind of version of this. And then there's so many more like modern Druidry, Druidry follows, falls into neo-paganism technically. Like the, the list is pretty extensive. And I mean, it's very vast. It's very extensive. Anytime somebody's taking or trying to like take the ideas of like the way people pre- Christian pre-Judaism, pre-Islam would have worshipped and we're trying to recreate it in this time and we're filtering it through our lens, it kind of starts to fall into this like neo-pagan idea. 
Mm -hmm. And what's doubly interesting is sadly and unfortunately, there are a few of these traditions that are very heavily attractive to white supremacy. (laughs) Yes. That is one hundred percent true, and I think um, we have to we have to we have to touch on that, especially yeah. like being white people that like <laughs> practice this kind of stuff or are aware of these kinds of things. It's important to to talk about that because what I learned to like in while looking this up today is that this this one I mentioned a minute ago, the heathenry. This was actually used during World War II by Hitler. And he was actually u- using ruins on his flags. And he was using this idea of returning to the old religion or the old culture as a way to kind of stimulate people into the idea of like, we are the right race. And a lot sometimes these cultures can really center, centralize themselves around race. And in the world that we're living in today with social media and stuff, I've seen tons of people remarking that unfortunately the Germanic and the Northern, like more Norse style neo-paganism practices, they see a lot of that white supremacy trying to be funneled through that. And I think also Wicca does that in a way too, right? I think that's also reflection like any tradition that's practiced is a reflection on society and right now there are issues throughout the world of white supremacists rising up and you see it in a lot of political things and a lot of religious things and it's it it perfectly mirrors what's happening in society this is not a good thing i'm not saying that it's a good thing or i'm saying i think we can it's just a mirror we can both agree that we don't think that this is a good thing. What I think yes. is what I think is very interesting is that I think a lot of time people don't necessarily think that their spiritual practice can be politicized. And mm-hmm. just talking briefly about like what Hitler was doing with a term with a t- style of paganism um, back during before World War II just goes to show that people have been finding ways to manipulate spirituality to lead certain, like lead people to a certain idea that's usually around race and the supremacy of a certain super white race. Um, And it happens a lot. It happens in new age, new age practice as well. And I think it's something that's kind of rampant in the community, which is kind of why I Mm -hmm. I feel it's important to talk about it, because with spirituality comes the concept of faith and the concept of belief and your relationship with everything. But it Mm -hmm. sometimes I think that means that people put their critical thinking on the back burner and we should not necessarily there's a time and a place for that, but we shouldn't always be doing that because these things do get co-opted. And they have been. Oh, one hundred percent. They have been. They've been co-opted throughout history. Um, we have seen countless wars fought over religion. Yes. And and yeah. spirituality, right? Yeah. Like, like most all of them. them. Most of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Most of them. <laughs> Let's be real. Most of them yeah. are fought by that. And I know, like Kale is often just like, okay, religion needs to die because there's no place for it. Anymore. Oh, Michael says the same thing. He doesn't believe. It. I've always thought there kind of is a place for religion. I'm not religious myself. 
And in fact, doing this research made me realize that I am a witchcraft practitioner, not a Wiccan, because I've never been devoted to a specific like god or a goddess. I've Mm -hmm. always worked within nature and I've always worked with like like kind of like what you were saying, like more with plants and and, and in the kitchen and in the hearth and in that kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. So I think we have a very similar definition of what witchcraft probably is, where it is a nature-based craft where you use the energy from natural elements to change something specific in your life or to help you achieve a goal. And like, to me, witchcraft is the art of change. Yes. Right? So like a person who practices witchcraft. Yeah, exactly. Someone who practices magic, transmutation, divination, spells, potions, Mm. is alchemy, right? Herbalism. Mm. It can be, it could also be someone who's clairvoyant or psychic uh, or has those abilities. And it can be something as simple as blessing your coffee or tea in the morning for you to have a good day. Mm -hmm. And then it can also be really complex where you have complicated rituals and you have those different tools and ingredients. It can also be very rooted in like a cultural folkloric practice. Like I, oh, I can't remember her name and it's really pissing me off that I can't remember her name, but there's a great creator on TikTok who is Russian and she has grown up in her family. She has been working with uh, Russian folkloric magic her whole life and she does a Mm -hmm. fantastic and she's incredible creator very down to earth and very informative and the way that she does things is not the way that you or I would necessarily do things you know and it's fascinating it's Mm -hmm. so interesting it's so interesting to just like watch her and learn her story I will try to find her her information and and add it into the description of this podcast because I think she's really one of the best um creators in and around talking about witchcraft that I've actually seen on the internet I really like her so she's really interesting and then there's that other girl I told you about who um talks a lot about like working with demons which I think is very oh that's, yeah yeah that's another conversation She's really interesting that's another conversation for another time because I think again our idea of what demons are is like very very different from like what eastern philosophy would would think um and yeah. so kind of dissecting that and looking into it is good that's for another time. It is. There's so many demons to touch upon, like the historical aspect of it, of learning about Lilith or even yeah. Pazuzu is really fascinating as well. So, but, uh, I, but I, you did touch upon. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. No, it's okay. <laughs> I was going to say you did touch upon folk magic and I was reading a book called Italian Folk Magic and I honestly love this book and it mm. kind of brought to life for me a bunch of things that I grew up with that I wouldn't have even and I never really acknowledged or thought about Mm. and it's funny because you know I've heard stories of my mom my sister used to have nightmares growing up and my my mom was like convinced that there was a woman and she couldn't have kids and my sister was a baby and uh, my sister used to sleep perfectly fine and then this woman came and she wanted to carry my sister and my mom was like no 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 and all of a sudden, my sister had nightmares and would stay up crying all night. And my mom Whoa. was just like, "No, she cursed your she cursed your sister. She like 
she hexed your sister, like did something to your sister. She mm. can't sleep at night anymore. And like, there was all these things. And I hear about the bruxas, but they're like the bad witches, you know? Mm-hmm. But there's things that are then done to counteract that. <laughs> and I'm like, hold on. But if you are you hexing a hex? <laughs> no, but like you can break a hex. So mm-hmm. I was reading this Italian folk magic book and I believed and I'll keep this person anonymous, I believed that someone had been hexed or cursed and there was this way to like tell and break it in this book. Mm -hmm. So I decided to try it out and I kid you not, it fucking worked. (laughs) I swear to God, I believe that it worked. I believe that it worked. Yeah, I swear it worked where you had to like take some oil and a bowl of water and some salt and like you depending on how the oil falls and you put it above the person's head, depending on how the oil falls in the bowl, mm-hmm. once you cut it with the knife, it tells you whether or not the person has had the evil eye placed upon them. This is so interesting. And then it, yeah. And then it tells you how to break it. And I grew up Catholic, Roman Catholic, but I am not a religious person. I'm a spiritual person, but I believe that all of these saints of Catholicism do originate from pagan saints and they all have a different name so to me i don't care if i call someone the archangel michael even if i don't necessarily believe in the archangel michael i'm like sure there could be an entity that goes by many different names so i started doing this spell i guess to break the curse in it i was calling upon uh michael throughout the entire thing and you could feel it in the air like something changed something felt different (laughs) and the course of direction afterwards just felt different for the person have you ever looked into who michael is in the different i should i didn't but i should because there's like there's two things that are very interesting about what you just said in relation to working with him so yesterday i went to this museum that's in the village by my house and the museum is all about this area and this area has a very interesting history because it has um like we they have found artifacts here from antiquity from like the fourth century so the whole entire museum is actually in a beautiful like kind of it looks like a castle but actually what it was was a monastery and um the whole conversation in this because within this place is this gorgeous chapel And in the chapel, on the ceiling, there are these beautiful, like almost like medieval style paintings. And the paintings Mm -hmm. are of 12 men and 12 women. And they are called like the Sybil, Sybil, I think. And the Sybil are actually the um, Christian Catholic virgin of a soothsayer of a person who tells the future, but they don't tell the future for you or I, they tell the future in relation to God. Like they're kind of like prophesizing what's going to happen for God. So I actually went to this museum with a friend of mine here that's French. And so a lot of the information is in French and she was kind of like helping me understand it and explaining it to me. And what she was saying that the museum itself is actually trying to openly display. It's a new museum. It's only opened in the last two years is that Catholicism came here. Like basically in where I live currently in the Southwest, in the Midi Pyrenees, this area in the beginning of like the first century was 
Galwa or Gaul. So connected to the Celts. And that's a whole other thing, migration thing to get into. But very early on, as early on as third and fourth or even second century, Roman, the Roman Empire was here. And the community became Gallo-Roman. So like a combination of the Gauls and the Romans. And then when the when Christianity kind of takes over uh, like the Roman Empire, basically they they went, they went to all of the places where the Roman Empire was and they found ways to kind of take the the traditions that were local to all of these places and Catholicize them. And so what the Sibyls actually are, are the Catholicized version of like future tellers, fortune tellers. And I was explaining to her, I found it very interesting because um, growing up as a Roman Catholic in Canada, you would never hear about a mystical reader that was part of Catholicism because now mm-hmm. in North America, we're so far removed from that. They don't even need to bring it up. And nor would you hear of women doing this at all. Whereas here there's literally paintings of these women on the ceilings kind of declaring them as these like wise female prophets. And that, that That's village really cool. is, yeah, that village is really kind of very well known for having like a, a quite feminist connection to things very, very early Mm -hmm. on. Um, But now they've kind of restored this church that kind of shows the example of that. So that's That's like awesome. I'd love to see it. But this kind of goes to the idea of what you were saying earlier, that like Catholicism kind of came in and put their spin on everything to make it palatable for local people. And then there's that other conversation that I think you and I had a long time ago about masking And masking Mm -hmm. was usually the practice of, sadly, when people were getting, um, you know, pushed, like being forced to, I don't even want to say immigrate, like they were being forced into the islands and everything from out of Africa into the islands because of slavery. They wanted to hold on to their, their cultural practices, but they weren't allowed and they were all being kind of like forced into Catholic conversion. So what they did is they took the imagery of like a Christian, uh, a Christian deity, an angel, whatever. And they put that over the, the person they were really praying to. And so you see that in like the Santa Maria and all of those kinds of practice, the practices that are more collected in um, like folk, folk magic or folk practices from Africa Mm -hmm. and Latin America, the mixing of that. And, and so like, this is the whole thing, right? Like this is why it's such a convoluted conversation because sometimes people had to do this out of necessity. Sometimes people Mm -hmm. were doing this as kind of like a manipulation tactic. And sometimes now the, because we were raised Catholic and we're kind of expanding our minds sometimes you can feel connected to a deity even if you don't aren't necessarily connected to that religion so it's very like there's so much to consider in all of this and there are so many layers to consider of course (laughs) yeah I'm getting overwhelmed just trying to explain (laughs) it all holy shit like like for me there are certain things where you know um, just simple things like when you sweep, you sweep and you 
um, you want to like sweep your house and you want to put the dirt out the back door, never out the front oh. door. What if you don't you have a back sweep door? Sweep out the front door because, well, then that's a problem. But like traditionally in houses, there would be like a front and a back door in Portugal, you don't have right? A back door. Oh, okay. I guess you would actually just sweep it up and then toss it in a bin outside your house for garbage collection or something. So there we go. That whole concept, again, that's like something like kind of specific to like maybe like a more Portuguese folkloric tradition. Yeah. And I think that you see it in in Italian folk magic as well. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, why is that? Well, it's because you want all the negative energy to go out the back door Mm -hmm. and you don't want it to go out the front door because you want the good energy to know it can enter. Right. Okay. Honestly, right. I don't know about everybody else, but me hearing that I'm like makes complete sense. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm gonna raise you your Italian witchcraft book and 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 see you my my Welsh witchcraft book. I want to talk about right. it just because you mentioned that because this is the one that I've been reading lately, um, and it's by Mara Starling, who I'm a huge huge fan of. Um, I would also strongly suggest everybody check out her TikTok and Instagram because it's incredibly interesting. So my family background is Welsh, but I never knew anything about Wales and kind of just saw it as part of the UK most of my life and didn't really understand. They were like a sovereign nation that got taken over much like Scotland and they still Mm -hmm. live in the identity of that like to this day. Oh yeah, because they fought tooth and nail and they were formidable mm, in their fight. Other things, I thanks to this book, I've been learning so much, like the fact that Merlin was actually Welsh. Yeah. Well, there's a whole, okay. Ah, that's for another episode. Yeah, I know. There's a whole thing I've discovered about Merlin, okay? And we should, we maybe we should do a season around, um, like... Arthurian legends? Yeah, because I feel like there's, yeah, like, a lot to explore in that, and I feel like we're both quite interested in it. Um, but anyways, this is really interesting because there are a lot of relation... There is a lot of conversation about certain stories and certain practices in here that I know from reading Wiccan books growing up, but I would have never known that they were Welsh because... At the time, the authors didn't say, this thing is Welsh, this thing is this, this thing is that. They kind of almost blended it into one thing and kind of assumed it as their thing, which is like such a white thing to do. (laughs) You know what I mean? But at 13, I didn't know that. But seeing it now, I'm just like, I had no idea this was where this was from. But yeah. this, I, I find this book really interesting because like for what you were saying, it makes a it's it's actually helping me discover like way more about where my family is from and the practices that we have there. And sometimes I'm like, is the whole reason I was even interested in this stuff anyways, because like I come genetically, I come from maybe literally Wales and France. And like, I find myself maybe your DNA does hold memory. You know, so I always think about, I always think about whales and like sea animals and the way that they managed and turtles and the way that they find, managed to find the place where they were born and return. Like, how do they do that? And I, and I wonder sometimes if humans have that capacity buried somewhere in themselves as well. Um, It's the only way I can logically justify how I ended up here. (laughs) Logically, (laughs) logically justify how I ended up here. 
<laughs> but yeah, anyways, all of this to say, it is incredibly broad. And then if we get out of looking at, um, you know, Wicca, neo-paganism, all of the different like sects of these groups that follow certain Mm -hmm. specific ideas and all of the intricacies of that. There's a lot, what I think a lot of people do in this moment is they consider themselves practitioners of witchcraft and then they just define what kind of witch they are. Yes. And I see that on social media. I don't even know how people can do that because I look into like green witchcraft, hedge witchcraft. I've looked into folk magic. And but those are part I, of the definitions though. Like a green witch is kind of considered one of these def- definitions of a type. It's just No, like, I know. They're all they're all definitions, but they all kind of overlap and I'm like, "Oh, I can take bits and pieces of each one." And and some people want to define themselves I don't know that I do, and I guess that means I'm defined then as an ecclesiastic witch, or sorry, not um, as an eclectic witch. Yeah, I know. I've always considered, for a long time, I considered myself an eclectic witch as well, until I kind of thought a bit more about kind of like what what that meant, because a, a solitary eclectic witch, but then I realized like eclectic witchcraft kind of assumes that you can just take things from here, there, and everywhere. And I don't know that you can't, but I do feel like, like there are some practices that I do have that have, I've actually been initiated into and I've been given Mm -hmm. from other cultures, but I Mm -hmm. often still will not speak out about those things because they're not my culture, but I will practice them privately and I will practice them like with a lot of respect and gratitude. And I try to within that continue to learn about that culture, continue to participate in a way that makes sense for me as like a a, a white woman in relation to that and, and trying to like figure out how I can be of service to that culture as opposed to just taking the practice and assuming it as my own. I feel like if if you ever identified as an eclectic witch, you kind of have to think about that at some point. You absolutely do. But it depends on it depends on what you're collecting, of course. I, I think that's it. It depends on what you're collecting. But that's the whole idea of witchcraft. It's true. It's flexible enough to incorporate a variety of cultural traditions. And as long as you're practicing respectfully Um, I think that's okay. I've participated in coven rituals that are of Norse Norse priestesses. Pardon? With an actual coven? Yeah, like an open coven. Oh, I've never, I've always wanted to see what that would be like. And I've never actually met a coven ever. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So where was that? Was that in Toronto or... Yeah, that was in Toronto. Most of my practice is solitary, but I have participated in like open coven rituals that are led by um, a Norse priestess. Oh, that's so. And how did you feel about that when you did it? It was very powerful. It was um, a huge learning opportunity for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was done with such. The priestess did it with such an open want, and it was women only. Mm. Um, 
So like there's this real bond of sisterhood that happens Mm. as well. Mm. Uh, And just feeling as though you're not alone and like you're openly sharing your grief and Mm. your hopes. And Mm. there's something really powerful in that. I think. That's really so nice. It was a really moving experience. That's really nice. I like that you said that you were able to share your grief. Like mm-hmm. where I live, I feel like there are a lot of women here that do a lot of goddess practice, like goddess movement mm-hmm. type of practice. And I've seen kind of like the whole spectrum of it from, you know, ceremonies that are really aesthetic but not really touching on the the deeper things to the opposite mm-hmm. till I've seen women that are really like kind of going through a deep rewilding process and like reconnecting with nature in a very primal way. That's like very moving. Um, and I often see in all of these situations, there's not a whole lot of space left open for negative I'm going to say with quotes air quotes negativity it's not negativity it's expression of emotion grief a lot of the time they kind of want to focus on this like elevate your energy thing and and I find it kind Mm -hmm. of frustrating because really like in order to elevate your energy sometimes you need to go through a grieving you need to go through a process and then you and this is very ground yeah and this is very grounding you know what I mean? Yeah. So I like the fact to me, if that is, if there is a space for that in, in, in the work you do with, with a group, that's huge. That's huge. Yeah. That's a, a yeah. big green flag. <laughs> like that's a good yeah. thing that they're allowing that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So like I participate in those occasionally. And if I do, it'll generally be during the sabbats. See, I've never celebrated those either, which further indicates to me that like I've never been I I love the idea of like kind of celebrating the seasonality of things and what that historically meant and whatever. But like from a perspective of the wheel of the year, I was just like, I don't know, to be honest, I was kind of like, I don't have my shit together to like celebrate this like every court like there, how many of them is, is there there's like eight of them or something there are eight and yeah, I generally just do the I, I generally like will do the the big ones you know um because I feel like Easter like Osada is a really great time to like shed the winter and try and manifest what you want for the coming year and bring in the new. And like, it, it is an expression of your hopes and desires, right? Can I just and share then, with you that like yeah. in relation to that, where I live here, there's a really cool practice that I've never seen before um, until I moved here. And it's always happening around February and March when the birch trees are starting to produce sap. But there are mm-hmm. people here that will go to the birch trees and tap the sap and then they'll bring it to the market and people will buy like bottles and bottles of this birch sap and they'll drink it for like a week as a cleanse as a very gen it's a very gentle cleanse and I've done it a few times but it's interesting it kind of relates to everything that we've said this is clearly a folk tradition from here yes you don't I didn't I've never seen this done anywhere else uh, I'm sure it is done in other places. I've just never seen it before. But it is in that period of spring, like around that period of time. And it does kind of come with that idea of releasing like 
the the winter, the concept of new growth or making space for that. Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah. Exactly. And I come from a family of farmers as well. So I think that's why Mm. I do follow the the calendar a little bit because even in the city when it's harvest time, I am pickling things. I'm making sauce. I am like doing all of those things because it is harvest time. I don't have a garden to do these things now, but like the practice is still kept within me Mm -hmm. Um, that it is the time to save and preserve for the winter. And like, so I think that I grew up with a family who was very seasonal and who took those practices from where they lived and still brought them here. Yeah. And growing up, it was just, it, it continued. Talking about these folk practices. And I think this is the kind of like folk practice is kind of the stuff. It's like the sauce of it all. Like that's the stuff that feels the best, isn't it? Like, yeah, to me, yes. Like I'm realizing I do things when I'm sick. I was talking to you about this before we started, but like a recipe that I make for myself when I'm sick, it's, it really doesn't make sense. I don't know that there's any scientific backing for this. It's called uh, jamada and it's literally a raw egg yolk in milk. And when I was little, my mother would make it more palatable by adding Nesquik. So it would be chocolate milk <laughs> in a raw egg. Aww. And I know that there are other Portuguese people who just do like raw egg and sugar. And like this helps with a sore throat and helps your lungs. Oh, wow. Really? And I mean, that's what we think. And I know that when my sister there's usually there really is sick, usually something to it. There's usually something. Probably. To it. I know when they were sick last time, my mom, you know, same thing. She's like, okay, here's here's a jamada. And, you know, we get better. And then, oh, it's because of the jamada. <laughs> of course. Yeah. And I'm like, is it um, is it just psychosomatic? Yeah, is it just psychosomatic, like a placebo effect, or does it actually work? I don't know. How does a raw egg and milk actually help you get better? I'm sure, there's a little bit of column A. There's dangerous stuff. <laughs> True. Yeah, especially in North America, but there's probably a little yeah. bit of common, uh, like a little bit of column A, B, and C within all yeah. that. You know what I mean? There is, yeah. and that, and that is something interesting about folk, folk magic, especially. If it's stuff that's been passed down through your family generations and it's a po- like a positive thing, it's actually a, a positive kind of like promise or energy from your ancestors. Mm-hmm. And I think there yeah. is something to be said for that element. Like for me, I have, I do practice, like I'm just looking around my office and I'm like, I've got my candles, I've got my medicine bundle, I've got my like my insets. Like I work with craft. I work a lot. I spend a lot of time in nature. That's where I commune my energy. If I had to put a label on it, I would say probably closest to to modern day druidry. And I actually don't know. I don't necessarily subscribe to that. I don't necessarily know a lot about it, but just from what I've been reading lately, that seems to be where it's at because I work so much with plants and I work so much with animals, but you know, it's kind of always just been what felt right. And I haven't really had up until now, I haven't really had a lot of (laughs) friends that I, that were interested in that. Or that were interested in any of this stuff. So I've been quite, it's kind of just always been me and nature, which isn't, which is a good thing and, and, and a bad thing in a way, because I felt kind of alone and it's really only been Mm -hmm. within the last two or three years where I've actually found way 
more of a community. Um, studying with the eighth fire, which is related to the energy work that I do, that really completely yeah. shifted my awareness and also my awareness in relation to all of this other stuff that was already there before I got into that practice um, and helped me figure out, like actually gave me tools to kind of strengthen and increase my relationship with the things that I already had. So Mm -hmm. that was really interesting. And And it is kind of cool in a way, witchcraft, let's say. So let's put aside anything that has deities not that there's anything wrong with deities and we're actually going to do a whole podcast exploring that um yeah let's put that aside for a minute and just focus on the witchcraft element which is really cool about it is that you can kind of choose your own adventure <laughs> yeah you can and i think and i think a lot of people there's been a big resurgence now um i think that a lot of people are frustrated with um, different aspects of societies and trying to work within social structures and and what they're doing isn't always working. And I think that you have a lot more people right now that are like, well, if this isn't working, like, let's see what else is out there. Whenever there's events that really like shake the foundations of society, people will tend to turn towards the occult. And then again, the fact that there is no set criteria for being a witch is the appeal. So you can choose your own adventure, as you say. And there's something really magical about that. It's like, I think that witchcraft beckons with the promise of spirituality that is self-determined and often anti-patriarchal and flexible enough to incorporate a variety of cultural traditions. That being said, I agree with you 100%, but I think we'd be remiss if we didn't say that when you're going to get into a practice like this, sometimes it can happen when, you know, that that thing that happens when there's like too many options and then you kind yeah. of get lost <laughs> in it all, that, yeah. that can also be an element that can happen. And yes. in addition to that, when you are going to get into this kind of work... This is my personal belief. So actually nobody else has to subscribe to this necessarily, but I do think if you want to do this work in a holistic way where ultimately all of this boils down to communing um with nature, understanding that you are connected to and a part of nature, you are not like above nature, you are within Mm -hmm. it. And Mm -hmm. with that comes a certain, I think, a certain level of responsibility of being aware of, or, or at least trying your best to be aware of some of the areas where, you know, things can get dodgy because we have the natural world and then we have the world of man and they overlap all the time and they don't always overlap in a way that is healthy for nature or healthy for human beings. So there's a bigger, a deeper thing that comes along with like exploring witchcraft is coming into the awareness of that. And that's something that's probably inevitably going to take time. Like I said, when I was 13, I was definitely studying Wicca and thinking it was like a definitive thing. And I don't think that yeah. now at all. So no, I think that um, finding that balance, you know, 
You have to find that balance and it's worth doing the research into the different things that you are studying so that you can actually respect where the traditions are coming from and better understand them. I think that for a lot of people that do turn towards it, you know, a lot of people turn towards it with like the help of crystals and Mm, really get into tarot and oracle decks and stuff like that. I'm an oracle deck girl. I won't lie. I have like five. I have, I have a tarot and oracle deck that I, I love each of them. Crystals, I think is, that's a whole other podcast. I could talk about crystals and uh, medicines, but I don't have a lot of good things to say, to be honest, but I still think it's worth talking. And I understand, I understand why. I understand mm-hmm. why, but I, I think that is very accessible to people, especially if Absolutely. they live in cities and things like that. It's kind of like the easiest way for them to get involved. For sure. And, and honestly, I was understand. a crystal girl as a child. Like I say, yeah. so I totally get it. Yeah. I, I love crystals. Like you do feel power with certain ones and, and like, you know, I'll gravitate to some over others, but I, there's a whole thing that comes with that of whether or not they're being sourced ethically yes. and what that actually means. If Again, you're using them to practice. It's another conversation. For yeah. Another time. So I don't know if we helped to clarify anything with this or if we just made it more confusing. We'd be really happy uh, to hear from you guys. But I think we actually have to wrap it now because we're almost, it's almost been an hour that we've been talking about this. It's true. I think we could talk about this forever. And I think we will. We will come back and talk about this forever. Um, But we hope that this conversation could kind of give you some ideas, some clarifications, or at least, you know, help you begin to paint a picture of what witchcraft meant historically versus what it means now, what it means to the the, the daily practitioners like us, or, you know, um, what it means in context of, of the past. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I, yeah. I mean, like you define yourself pretty early on or started practicing pretty early on with a definition that has since changed. I think that mine came around a lot later when people started to ask and then I started to look around and be like, oh, oh yeah, I do stuff. Yeah, (laughs) I never really noticed. I guess I am. Okay. (laughs) And everybody's journey with that is different, but also you can like, you don't have to even be doing this or be interested in this. But if we are going to do an entire season about witches, it's good to know what we're dealing with today, what we were dealing with back then, and Mm -hmm. all trying to cover all of that kind of stuff in between. Because I think there's so much mystification around witches, like we talked about in the last two episodes, that Mm -hmm. breaking some of this down hopefully gives you a clearer idea of like what really kind of happens, all of the nuances in between, which there is a lot, um, just like there is for any uh, energetic or spiritual practice, faith, anything like that. And, um, you know, hopefully from that, you can kind of understand a little bit more of what people say when they're a witch. We didn't even get into the types of witch, but we'll, we'll do something around that. We'll figure that out later. (laughs) Yeah, we'll do that. Well, thank you for joining everyone and, uh, we'll see you next time.
Thank you so much. And we'll see you soon. Follow us on Instagram. We have an Instagram now. It's uh, allegory, (laughs) allegory story podcast. Hey, thanks. Bye.